When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, it's Wednesday, the Bairn is at nursery, the pot of Yorkshire has been drunk and we're going to take a deep dive into the decade that we bizarrely call the noughties and to the football of its time. This is the Noughties Nostalgia Podcast, this is episode 41 and episode 41 is the 2003 UEFA Cup final between Porto and Celtic, the rise of Jose Mourinho. Martin O'Neill is there too. We've also got 20 years ago today, the 2000-2001 Premier League final day where three teams were battling out for that final coveted Champions League place. you got Leicester, you got Leeds, sorry, Liverpool and the mighty Ipswich Town and on the table never lies. We've got one of the greatest ever La Liga title races from the 2006-07 season. Please follow and subscribe wherever you get your podcast, whichever platform you get your podcast. We'll be here every Wednesday. More podcasts to come in the not too distant future and please leave us a five star review so we can keep making content like this let's get stuck into episode 41 we are in Seville May 2003 the 2003 UEFA Cup final Porto Celtic both clubs had a a bit of European pedigree prior to this final. Both had a European Cup under their belt. We had the Lisbon Lions, of course. How could we forget 1967 Jock Steen's team beating into Milan 2-1. And that was Celtic's first stab at European Cup football, would you believe? They did have uh, European campaigns in 1964 and 1966. Cup winners, Cup semi-finals, losing out to the likes of Borussia Dortmund when they won the trophy and MTK Budapest. And around this time, Jock Steen's Celtic were in the midst of nine in a row, they would never reach that fabled 10, unfortunately. They would reach the latter stages of the European Cup five times, of course, making the final of the 1970 tournament, losing to Feyenoord, Feyenoord themselves on the uh, treble chase there. They lost to the eventual winners in AC Milan a year prior in the quarterfinals, losing 1-0 to that Milan team. 
also lost to the great Johan Cruyff team in 1971's quarterfinal again. The eventual winners there. They lost in semi-finals to Inter Milan on penalties in 1972 and lost to Atletico Madrid in the semi-finals of 1974. And this was in the period of Ajax dominance, Bayern Munich dominance and Celtic were right on the cusp there in that second tier of teams vying for the European Cup. But as we move on to the late 70s, early 80s, Celtic's power waned slightly. The old firm dominance was slightly creaked open by the likes of Aberdeen, Dundee United and Hearts got within a whisker of winning the league title there in 1986. But a decade before that, you've got Celtic losing to East German opposition in the Cup Winners' Cup quarterfinals in 76 and losing 3-2 on aggregate in the European Cup in 1980 to the great Real Madrid team. In 20 attempts from 1980 all the way through to 2002, Celtic had failed to get beyond the third round in Europe. Meanwhile, across from them in Seville, you've got Porto. They had qualified for the European Cup in 1956 and 1959 through league wins in a time period where Benfica were really the prevailing force in Portugal. They never made it beyond the preliminary round, losing to Athletic Bilbao and losing to Inter Bratislava as they're now known. And that lean spell lasted for quite a while until the late 70s, really. Eusebio and Benfica winning a couple of European Cups in the 60s. And Porto wouldn't make it, a bit like Celtic, really. They wouldn't make it beyond the third round of European competition until 1978. And that was the year in which Porto ended a 19-year wait for a league title. And they, like London buses, you wait for a Portuguese league title for a long, long time. Then two come at once, winning the successive league title in 1979. They would bow out to the eventual Cup Winners' Cup winners in Anderlecht in 1978, but winning the league meant a return to the European Cup and this time they actually qualified through the preliminary round. They would lose out to AEK Athens though in round one in 1978, losing 7-5 on aggregate. Got a bit closer, got to round two, got a further step along there in 1979, but missed out to Real Madrid only on away goals. So in 1979-1980, that European Cup season, both teams, Porto, Celtic, they were beaten by Real Madrid. Porto's first European final was in 1984 and it was a Cup Winners' Cup loss to Giovanni Trapattoni's Juventus, the prevailing force in Italy there at the time, winning the European Cup the year after. They'd also won a UEFA Cup in the late 70s, I believe. Porto would return to the European Cup in 1985 and that meant uh, another early exit away goals against Barcelona again that stumbling block for Porto, and that was round two, Barcelona, of course. Terry Venables, they would get to the final, lose it on penalties in one of the worst penalty shootout displays ever. Porto finally had their Lisbon Lions moment in 1987, 20 years on from the actual Lisbon Lions, and it was a late win in Vienna, overturning a Bayern Munich advantage, and it was the first European Cup. And Porto had gone close since between that final and their next subsequent final in 2003, They'd gone close in three European Cup quarterfinals. First in 1991, where Bayern avenged some of those memories, losing 3-1 on aggregate to uh, Porto there. And then in 1997, they were absolutely battered in the first leg of the quarterfinal by Manchester United. David May scoring a goal there for Man United. And finally, 2000, Bayern Munich beat them again in the quarterfinals, 3-2 on aggregate this time. And a first finish outside the top two in 20 years for Porto meant the UEFA Cup for the 2002-03 season and former Benfica manager for a time, Jose Mourinho, he was in. So let's go to the 2002-03 UEFA Cup season, shall we? For the third time in five seasons, Celtic had dropped from the Champions League to the UEFA Cup and 2003 wasn't really a banner year for Celtic. They'd missed out by 
one minus one goal difference to Rangers in the league. They lost to Rangers late on in the League Cup final 2-1 as well. So they were on slowly on their way to having a trophyless season, which at Celtic Park is unheard of really. Porto, meanwhile, they were dominating. They won the league by 11 points. They won the League Cup as well, 1-0. Uniao de Liera beating in the final there, Mourinho's old team. And before that cup win, Porto had another final. It was, of course, the UEFA Cup final. Polonia, Warsaw, Austria, Vienna, Lenz. Denis Lisbon, had to think a minute for me Turkish pronunciations there. They were all beaten for Porto to make another European quarterfinal. Meanwhile, Celtic had been knocked out of the Champions League the previous season thanks to three away losses. They lost in Basel this season in the qualifiers and they were out of the Champions League before it even got going. But translate that away form into the UEFA Cup. They did not. They won their first two away games that they were against uh, Laduva of uh, Lithuania. and But they did beat Blackburn at Ewood Park. But that away form, as he got deeper and deeper into the tournament, would capitulate. They lost to Celta Vigo, but John Hartson dragged them out of a, a hole there of an away goal in Vigo. Um, Alan Thompson and Chris Sutton got early goals in Stuttgart to confirm a quarterfinal place, really, two goals in the first 10 minutes. But... It was a 3-2 loss, but they did win 5-4 in aggregate quite comfortably in the end. Winning that meant a quarter-final, another battle of Britain. This time it wasn't Blackburn, though. it was an actual team, really, from from Liverpool with European pedigree. Sorry, Blackburn fans. Neither Porto nor Celtic really had favourable home first legs in that quarter-final. Panathinaikos actually beat Porto 1-0, whilst Emil Heskey got a vital away goal for Liverpool in a 1-1 draw at Paradise. Derlai bagged twice for Porto in the return leg and Mourinho's men were taken to extra time in Greece. Celtic needed no such measures. Alan Thompson equalising that away goal at Anfield. John Hartson putting the game beyond Liverpool later on. A meaningful away win in Europe first for quite some time. And even more so, it was recovering from the League Cup loss in between the two legs to Rangers, which uh, made the win even more impressive from a Celtic standpoint. Move to the semi-final and you've got Boa Vista. Henrik Larsson getting both goals in both legs to halt an all-Portuguese final then. Larsson getting the winner there on 18 minutes in Portugal. Porto, they were in the final. They were already in the final after the uh, first leg. They'd run up a 4-1 win, Derlai with another two. One of the star men for Porto, a top scorer in the tournament overall. Mourinho was banned from the touchline for the return leg in Rome and he guided by text message a very young Andre Villas-Boas from the stands and... Porto secured a nil-nil draw, secured that final. Italy wouldn't have a representation in the final for quite some time, going up to, I believe, last year with the loss to Sevilla by Inter Milan in that truncated season. So we go to Seville. We've got Celtic fans from all four corners of the globe there. The heat is baking, that famous Seville heat in the Olympic Stadium. Porto fans are bouncing amid the harsh conditions. Celtic fans with presumably that pale complexion, Probably, you see you see in the footage, the game footage, there's a lot of empty seats. I presume that's fans moving back into the bowels of the stadium where there's a bit more shade because it is quite an open, it's a bowl like most Olympic stadiums and the heat it must be absolutely intolerable. I know I'm, I'd be burnt alive if I uh, was in Seville in the, in the midst of May, 40 degree heat. So Celtic are playing 3-5-2. Mourinho going for a diamond as he would often do in Europe. You've got Mialbe, Bobo Balde, Paul Lambert, Stylian Petrov, Neil Lennon, Alan Thompson, Henrik Larsson, Chris Sutton in the green corner. In the blue corner, you've got Vita Bayo, Paolo Ferreira. 
Ricardo Carvalho and Uno Valente, fantastic defence around this time. Porto did have an, an even better midfield deco, Costinho, Manish, and of course you've got Derlai up front and a few others. The breakthrough came when Bobo Baldo was uh, a bit slow to react to a rebound and Derlai nipped in on the back post. Stroke at halftime, it was, to be honest, I watched it back, it was a half of uh, very few chances. Celtic, you had John Hartson, he was missing the game through injury. But Henrik Larsson, partnering Chris Sutton up front, he would equalise. He would score his 200th goal for Celtic after the break. A fantastic header. He was on the back post. He was always falling away from goal. Heads the ball back across goal. Somehow beats Vitor Bayer in the Porto net and it just lands on the post and goes into the net. 47 minutes on the clock and Celtic a level. But it wouldn't take long for Porto to retake the lead. Eleni Chev is threaded through by a quite simple Deco pass really in the Russian poke the ball into the net. But... The breakneck speed of the second half chances and the second half goals finishes dead in its tracks on 57 minutes where you got Henrik Larsson, another header from a corner. The header too strong for Bayer. The game goes to extra time, two apiece. And the game really is pretty much killed when Balde receives a red card on 96 minutes for quite a horror challenge on Derlai. And Derlai did his, he needed no excuses to roll around the floor in this game and waste a few minutes. And Porto as a whole, he's classic clinical Mourinho tactics. They would somehow run up four minutes of added time in extra time, which is a third of the half an extra time, four minutes into 15 minutes. That was the stoppage time there, but the game was won. Derlai scored the winner. He topped the scoring charts in the UEFA Cup, scoring the winner with five minutes left to go. Jose Mourinho was a European champion, not the European champion, but a European champion. And it's what I asked our Twitter followers. Harry Holland says that he should go into international management after Roma. And he has, I don't think he's got the patience to sit around for five or so, five or six training camps a year just yet. But I think he will end up in that Portugal job. Now perhaps might not be the right time with Fernando Santos doing so well um, at Portugal, obviously winning the European Championships. His contract runs out uh, in the World Cup next winter, which is very weird sentence to say, but so the time probably, by the time he's sacked after Roma, maybe Harry's right, the time will be there. Maybe Euro 2024 if he, if uh, Mourinho does last there three years. Obviously, Mourinho recently announced as Paolo Fonseca's successor at Roma. And there's been a quite a plain trajectory for Mourinho, really. He's making a name for himself at Benfica, Uni Adeliera, and obviously Porto would go on to obviously win the European Cup the following year after the game. And then that would mean he would be poached by Chelsea. Roman Abramovich's money bringing him to Chelsea. And that was where he was absolutely at the top of his game. You've got league wins in Chelsea, cup wins in Chelsea, Champions League semi-finals at Chelsea. You've got Inter Milan where he finally wins a second Champions League part of that treble winning team in 2010. Gets poached by Real to fight Pep Guardiola quite literally sometimes in the uh, on the touchline of some classical games. They would win the the La Liga there in 2012. And then he would return to Chelsea, still at the top of his game, but he would finally have his methods questioned, his character questioned in that third season in the second spell at Chelsea. He'd be sacked before Christmas. Gus Hiddink would have to do another rescue mission at Stamford Bridge. And he would uh, go to Manchester United where his star was definitely on the wane and the downward slope is in full effect now with Spurs. The first club that he's been at since Uni Aldeliera, where he's not won anything and he was there for... 18 months of the three-year downward slope has been halved. But 
For me, he, I think he should still be named among the best. He's got eight league titles to his name, eight domestic cups to his name. He's got two Champions Leagues. There's only Zidane and uh, Ancelotti and Bob Paisley who've won more than him. Maybe in a couple of weeks, you can have Pep Guardiola to that list as well if he does win the Champions League with Manchester City and also won two UEFA Cups, Europa League with Manchester United there as well as the Porto win. So I don't necessarily believe in win rates as a as a rule of defining a manager like, for instance, Andre Villas-Boas has got a better win rate at Tottenham than Bill Nicholson. So who's the most successful Tottenham manager? It's not Andre Villas-Boas. So his win rate is as follows. 71% at Porto, 67% at Chelsea in the first spell, 62% in Milan, 71.9% at Real Madrid. And then it comes crashing down to 58.8% at Chelsea in the second spell, probably reduced more because of that third season where they were flirting with relegation before he was sacked. A 58.3% at Man United and 51.1% at Spurs. There's a very clear divide there before and after Real Madrid, or rather before and after Chelsea's uh, league title win in 2015. Those three years at Real Madrid is where those rifts began. You got him falling out with Ica Casillas, Cristiano Ronaldo, and that intense rivalry with Pep Guardiola's Barcelona, it could only burn briefly and brightly. Um, They did get some quite decent success. They won a league and a cup in the midst of being in the same division, the same, you know, cups as Barcelona, the greatest team ever assembled. Um, for me, Pep Guardiola did the right thing. He took a sabbatical and then effectively took an easier job in Bayern Munich where domestic success was almost a guarantee. You've got Pep, uh, you've got Jurgen Klopp. His time at Dortmund was uh, running out. He was at the end of that cycle. He would leave, of course, for a sabbatical of his own to refresh himself. And now I think we're only really seeing the true Pep in the second season at Man City where they win the the Premier League by an absolute canter from Manchester from Jose Mourinho's Manchester United. And Pep Guardiola wouldn't find Champions League success perhaps until next this month. So the last time he won the Champions League was in 2011. Um, Mourinho, instead, he would go from one high-pressure job to another, obviously less high-pressure job at Chelsea, but still, it was a tough league around 2014, the post-Sir Alex Ferguson world where everyone was trying to figure out their place and Manchester City, of course, the rise of them. He could have done with a sabbatical there. The second stint at Chelsea, that would wound to a close. In the third season, it was becoming a theme. It was becoming a running joke, really. And that combustion cycle of frustration on the fans' end as the team becomes more and more and more pragmatic. Um, people get thrown under the bus. So you've got Casilla, Casillas at um, Real Madrid, you've got Eva Canera, the Chelsea physio, you've got Luke Shaw, Paul Pogba getting routinely dug out by Mourinho when he was at Man United. Deli Alley, of course, was a victim of this at Tottenham. And Mourinho's only had three significant managerial breaks. He needed one for me after Real Madrid to bounce back. And you've got the, after his first stint at Chelsea, you've got about nine months between um being sacked or leaving Chelsea in September 2007 to returning to Inter Milan in June 2008 and he would win the treble after that break the second season at Inter Milan. And then from December 2015 after he was sacked by Chelsea to May 2016, so another six months. So it's it's not a full sabbatical like Pep Guardiola, like Jurgen Klopp were taking, but then he would win the uh, Europa League and League Cup double with Manchester United, which are his, are his last trophies. He would have almost a year break uh, between being sacked at Manchester United and taking the Spurs job and won nothing with Spurs. And I think the first season is excusable because he's been parachuted in mid-season. And like typically, Mourinho never won. He didn't win too much 
in his first season, the second full season would be his pinnacle. So you see it Inter Milan treble. They did win the league before, obviously, but the treble of 2000, uh, 2010, obviously Chelsea is a bit of an outlier there, but Real Madrid, second season there, he wins the league from Barcelona, from Pep's Barcelona and Spurs in his second full season. He had gotten to a League Cup final, wouldn't obviously be managing Spurs in that League Cup final. But there is a, a school of thought where he's reached the point of no return, where he's uh, done in management, he's finished in management. But I don't think that is the case because I think I'm, maybe I am a Mourinho apologist, but in that second season, typically he does get things right. Um, he does say that his uh, biggest achievement in football was at second place with Manchester United with 81 points. That came in his second season too. Let's not forget. I asked who was the best old fir- firm team in the 2000s as well. Harry Holland says Celtic, they were the best, the boys in Sevilla. They won more titles, had better players. The players, Hearts and Larson, Petrov, Sutton, Lennon, Lambert, Magidi, Baldy, Alan Thompson, probably had the edge over your likes of Barry Ferguson, Alan McGregor, Kenny Miller, Peter Lovenkranz, Dubois was in there as well, Ronald Dubois. You've got the man, in terms of manager slant, you've got Martin O'Neill and Gordon Strachan at Celtic Park as opposed to Walter Smith and Alex McLeish. Dick Avocat was there in the early part of the 21st century as well. The Celtic Edge Rangers 6-4 to four in terms of SPLs in the 2000s. Scottish Cups Rangers 5-4 on that one and League Cups they both won 4. Both had a UEFA Cup final funnily enough. Celtics obviously in 2003, Rangers in 2008. We'll talk about that later on and um, Celtic had more, one more UA, uh, Champions League knockout match losing in the last 16 in 2007 to Milan, 2008 to Barcelona. Meanwhile, Rangers losing the Champions League knockout the year before in 2006 to Villarreal, who would make, of course, the semi-final. And I would probably, it's right down the middle, that obviously 2010s, Rangers would start that very hot and then obviously they would be demoted and only find their way back at the end of the decade. In terms, yeah, in terms of the whole thing, managers, players, trophies won Celtic for me. Have to go down as slightly edging Rangers there. Rangers probably would have, Rangers definitely would have it in the 90s. Celtic in the 2000s, Celtic in the 2010s, and maybe if the success continues at Ibrox, Rangers in the 2020s for the old firm team of the decade. After the short break, we'll be going down south to England and to the final day of the 2000 2001 Premier League season. Welcome back. And 20 years ago today, it was the final day of the 2000-2001 Premiership season. The champions had been Manchester United for a long, long time. They could even lose their final three games and still walk the league by 10 points. Arsenal had confirmed their place with them in the Champions League in the penultimate week. And the bottom three of Manchester City, Coventry City and Bradford City, the three cities, they were all well cut adrift and promptly relegated to return to the Football League, which leaves... The only bone of contention, the third and final Champions League place. You've got Liverpool on 66 points. They had to travel to the Valley and to Charlton. Leeds had 65 points and they got a home tie with Leicester City in there. And Ipswich Town, newly promoted Ipswich Town on 65 points away at Pride Park and at Derby. So Ipswich, they'd returned from the Texaco Cup win of 1973, the FA Cup win of 1978 and the, of course, the pinnacle, the UEFA Cup win in 1981 and two second place finishes in the league under Sir Bobby Robson. They were relegated in 86, returned to the Premier League for its very first season in 92, but were back down dead last in 1995. They instantly set about getting promoted back into the top flight and it was fourth time lucky in the playoffs where they beat Barnsley in the playoff final to get back into the big time. 
they started as were to be expected really the the final season in 94 95 was a bit of a disaster for Ipswich really and they won one from the first five that first win being against Sunderland and Sunderland they were to succeed as the promoted surprise package Sunderland the previous season finished seventh they would finish seventh again Ipswich meanwhile they surely wouldn't finish higher than them than them would they of course they would a highlight of the first season were wins at Elland Road and Anfield they also beat the likes of Everton and Spurs who aren't really weren't really the teams that they are now they also beat Newcastle who were significantly better than what they are now uh, but their season was Ipswich's season looking back on the results and mainly beating mid-table teams quite very very consistently and struggling teams and they would pick up points bonus points really in draws at Portman Road to Manchester United Arsenal Chelsea and another against Liverpool so they took four points off uh, Jared Julia's Liverpool who let's not forget won the cup treble this season as we discussed last week Ipswich's only loss in the final nine games was at Charlton so they were the one they were the form team of the out of the three but obviously Liverpool and Leeds had the Liverpool had the points advantage over Ipswich. Leeds had the goal difference advantage over Ipswich with, uh, you could say, easier games. Leeds, they would finally return to the Champions League with a third place finish with David O'Leary's young young Leeds teams. It was splashing the cash like no other. Rio Ferdinand had coming for a defensive record fee of £18 million. Liverpool were on their way back to return to prominence with a cup treble that we spoke of last week. They would win the FA Cup in the build-ups this game. Uh, they started the UEFA Cup final on the other side of this game to come, but they wanted to return to the Champions League for the very first time since they were disqualified in 1985 after the Hazel disaster. Unbeknownst to most, Leeds probably needed this Champions League qualification more than most. Peter Ridsdale taking out uh, high-risk, high-interest loans to get them into the Champions League and stay there. Obviously, we'd only have one season of Leeds in the Champions League and like a leopard, they would uh, live brief but very bright lives and would be relegated in three years' time. But let's go to the final day. Leeds still had a chance. They led through Alan Smith at home to Leicester, with Charlton still holding Liverpool at the Valley and Ipswich, still drawing at Derby. Leeds temporarily moved into Champions League berth, temporarily, but for five minutes, because that is when Rio Ferdinand put through his own net and Leeds were back level. And by the time Ian Hart and Alan Smith ran up goals two and three, Liverpool were pretty much home and hosed. Robbie Fowler got a brace, Danny Murphy, Michael Owen scored two in a dominant 4-0 win for Liverpool. Ipswich, meanwhile, could only muster a draw at Derby. Uh, Richard Naylor getting an early second half equaliser. And what could have been a very, very dramatic final day, as in the 99-2000 season, where Leeds usurped Liverpool to get into that Champions League place. Liverpool, of course, losing to Bradford, who had something riding on that themselves, and that was survival. Um, but this would go completely opposite direction. Liverpool getting the Champions League, Leeds not, and less drama, let's be honest. Memories of this were from Joe, who said he finished, Leeds finished outside the Champions League spots, which was the beginning of the end for them, of course. Relegation in 2004 after mid-table finish in 2003, and of course, we'll discuss that in a minute. Harry Holland also says, Ipswich going down the following season, but still qualifying for Europe. But of course, R9, whether or not he played, I'm not, too sure, I think he must have done, uh, but at least Inter Milan played Ipswich in the following season's UEFA Cup, which they earned by um, by their league position the following season. They would qualify via fair play ruling. Remember those old days where uh, teams like Bradford and Ipswich would qualify for European football, despite being relegated via their old fair play laws. And um, Ipswich, they would go down, as we said, 2002. They had two seasons in the UEFA Cup, but would uh, 
losing successive playoffs to West Ham in 2004 and 2005 in the semi-finals at an attempt to uh, get back to the big time and would lose in the big game against Norwich in uh, one of the biggest dives in that particular game's history in the semi-finals in 2015 again. And uh, it wouldn't be fourth time lucky like in the 90s, but they would instead go down to the third tier in 2019 and they have spent the last two seasons just outside the playoff spots to get back into the championship leads. Like Ipswich, they went down to the third tier as well, but far, far more dramatically having to sell all their players. Rio Ferdinand was a big chunk of that, £30 million to Manchester United as well. Alan Smith going to Manchester United as well. So there was um, no partisan there from the the players in choosing their clubs that they wanted to go to. They could go to any club they wanted. They would choose to go to Manchester United and Leeds crossing that divide. Leeds would lose in the playoff final to Watford in 2006 in the second tier before getting relegated, of course, to League One. You had that 15-point deduction, which stunted their immediate return to the championship. They would make the subsequent League One playoff final against Doncaster in 2008, lose it. Um, lose to Millwall in the 2009 League One semi-final before finally in 2010. Third time of asking, returned automatically, which is something next season Ipswich will be hoping to do. And then finally last year, Marcelo Bielsa, of course, took them up after a semi-final playoff bottle job again. Leeds fans hate going up, hate the playoffs because they've they've never done well in the playoffs and 16 years they're away, finally returned. And of course now, as I'm speaking, they're in the top half of the Premier League. So a successful return for Leeds. Liverpool, they wouldn't get relegated, but they did have financial worries. They returned to the Champions League for successive years, though, at the start of the 2000s, finishing in the quarterfinals, finished second in the two, in the 2001-2 season, which is the highest Premier League finish for Liverpool as Gerard Houllier transitioned into Rafael Benitez as the in the managerial hot seat at Anfield. Fifth Champions League followed in 2005. They would lose the subsequent final against Milan in 2007 before they almost fell the same way as Leeds financially. They bounced back from a shock of administration, FSG stooping him to take over the uh, reins as the ownership of uh, of Liverpool after Hicks and Gillette did such a botched job and they only fell at the final hurdle of the 2013-14 Premier League season under Brendan Rodgers, slipping there um, against Chelsea, of course. Klopp would, uh, Jurgen Klopp would succeed Brendan Rodgers. They'd win a sixth Champions League, ending a 30-year wait for a league title as well and are now firmly amongst Europe's elite once more and didn't need to bounce back from relegation to do so. After this short break, we'll be going to Espana and to one of the greatest, one of my favourite title races ever, and that's the 2006-07 La Liga title. Hola, La Liga, sorry, La Liga's 2006-07 season, as it was 14 years ago today, so 34 of 38 matches had been played by this point and this is the league table as it was. Real Madrid had 66 points, Barcelona had 66 points, Sevilla had 64 points and Valencia had 62 points. In that title race, four teams in it, a bit like, tiny bit like this season where you've got four teams vying for the league title. Of course, Valencia not too far removed from the League successes of their own in 2004 under Rafa Benitez. Meanwhile, Sevilla were dominating the UEFA Cup at the time. And obviously, Real Madrid and Barcelona are Real Madrid and Barcelona. In the hunt for the other European places, we've got Zaragoza and Atletico Madrid on 54 points. Recreativo on 50 points. And below the dotted line of the Intertoto Cup, we've got Villarreal on 50 points. Hetafe on 49 Racing Santander on 49 as well. Real Mallorca on 48. In the purgatory of mid-table, we've got Espanyol on 45. Deportivo had climbed down from their successes in uh, 
44 points and Osasuna on 37. In the relegation dogfight, we've got Real Betis, Levante on 36, Athletic Club on 34. Their long-standing history in La Liga has been tested in this uh, in this season, just slightly above the dotted line there. And below it, we've got Real Sociedad on 30 points, Celta Vigo on 30 points as well, and Hymnastic on 24 points, all but relegated, needing 12 points from 12, and hope that Athletic Club would lose all their games, which, of course, it wouldn't happen. So... There's only one place we can start here, and it's the title race. La Liga, it threatened to be a four-way title race this season, and it was the first that we'd had since 2007. Barcelona and Real Madrid were out of the Champions League. Last 16, Valencia were flying the Spanish flag across Europe, at least in the Champions League, but they would go out in the Champions League quarterfinals to Chelsea. This should have meant a, a fresher set of Clasico teams. They would wheel away to a two-person, two-team title race, but apparently not. Four teams separated by four points with four games to play. And that gap would remain the following week. Joaquin Salvage in a late 1-0 Valencia win at Mallorca late on. Sevilla keeping themselves in the hunt with a similar late away win through Freddy Canute at Deportivo. And Roberto Carlos got an even later winner in the 89th minute at Recreativo in a 3-2 win. On the other hand, you've got Barcelona running out an absolute thrashing of Atletico Madrid 6-0. Something they wish they could have done this week in, in uh, La Liga in 2021. You've got Gianluca Zambrotta, Samuel Eto'o, Andres Iniesta, Lionel Messi and Ronaldinho running the goals in a 6-0 win there. The following week, Diego Forlan was at the double brick in Valencia Hearts in the yellow of the yellow submarine Villarreal, winning 3-2. That meant Valencia had dropped out of the title race in the penultimate week. Sevilla had their second UEFA Cup won in a row and bouncing back from that, they won late on versus Real Zaragoza 3-1. You've got Kersakov and Canute combining there to deadly effect. Real Madrid and Barcelona, they kept up their form as well. Real Madrid were fairly comfortable in a home win against Deportivo whilst Barcelona scored quite early on against Hetafe, Ronaldinho scoring in the second minute there. The following week, 10-man Sevilla, they dropped out of the title race. They couldn't find the net at Mallorca. Their title race seemingly was over. Real Madrid and Barcelona, if they won their penultimate games, it was just a two-team shootout going into the final week. However, drama was afoot in Barcelona and, of course, in Zaragoza. Diego Melito had a back-and-forth battle with Ruud van Nistelrooy, two goals apiece, which meant a 2-2 draw for Real Madrid, which meant Barcelona, if they won, they were effectively in the driving seat going into the final game of the season. Ruud van Nistelrooy's 89th-minute equaliser sealing a draw there for Real Madrid. The win for Barcelona would, of course, as well, eliminate Sevilla from the title race. Raul Tamudo opened the scoring. A bit like Diego Melito at Zaragoza, he would do so for Espanyol. Lionel Messi's goals either side of the half planted Barcelona flag firmly into La Liga trophy, and it looked as though Barcelona were eking away to another La Liga title. But then the remontada, the Tamudazo, Raul Tamudo got the equaliser again on 89 minutes, the same as Ruud van Nistelrooy at Real Madrid at uh, Zaragoza there. Real Madrid do, drew 2-2, so did Barcelona. Barcelona against their heated Catalan rivals. And the final day came down to head-to-head as they were separated. Not by goal difference, that wasn't the tiebreaker in Spain, not by points either. So we look back to the classical games of the, the season gone by. Raul and Ruud van Nistelrooy scored in a 2-0 win at the Bernabeu in October. And in the reverse fixture, Lionel Messi stole the show in March, scoring a hat-trick. A hat-trick that was unfortunately for Barcelona fans in a 3-3 draw, meaning that Real Madrid took the head-to-head advantage 
they were in the lead. All they had to do was beat Real Mallorca. Barcelona had a significantly better goal difference, but that didn't matter, as we say. Barcelona were at gymnastic, relegated now. Real Madrid at home to Mallorca. Sevilla could win the title. The chances were very remote, even more remote when uh, Villarreal, the title killers, they eliminated Valencia from the title race. They would eliminate Sevilla from the title race as well, winning 1-0 in Seville. Meanwhile, Barcelona killed their game off within half and led 3-0 in Tarragona. And Real Madrid, though, they were 1-0 down to Real Mallorca. It seemed as though the title race had yet another twist in the tail and Lionel Messi would get a fourth for Barcelona before Real Madrid's saviour. Jose Antonio Reyes, he came off the bench, he got an equaliser, but Real Madrid needed one more goal and that goal came from Mamadou Diara. He got it 10 minutes to go and Reyes got a third. Real Madrid winning 3-1, clinching that first league title since 2003 in David Beckham's farewell match for Real Madrid. Let's go further down the table. So I said that Spanish teams were all out by the semi-final stage. You got Valencia, the only Spanish representation in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. On the other hand, on the UEFA Cup, you've got Osasuna, Espanyol, Sevilla. They all occupied the semi-finals. This would, of course, boil down to, as we spoke of a few weeks back, the penalty shootout between Espanyol and Sevilla at Hamden Park. This time around, you've got Hetafe taking up the final UEFA Cup place alongside Villarreal and Real Zaragoza. Um, Getafe took that UEFA Cup place because of the Copa del Rey final loss and seventh place Atletico qualified, of course, for the Intertoto Cup. And this is the Intertoto Cup segment. They won alongside nine other teams by um, on away goals uh, from Gloria Bistrita on away goals. And that club, that Romanian team, they were dissolved in 2015. So, Atafe, they made the last 16. The Spanish-dominated UEFA Cup of 2007 had given way for just one Spanish team in the last 16. Atafe would make it through that stage. They'd go out in the quarterfinals, so they'd go out to Bayern Munich only on away goals, and that was seemingly Bayern Munich, the favourites there. Atletico Madrid, Villarreal, they were both out of the last 32 stage. Zaragoza didn't even make the group stages. They were out in the first round. So you've got Bayern Munich in the semi-finals. They were the favourites alongside Fiorentina. Neither of them would make the final as, of course, as we said earlier, Rangers made the final. So did Zenit St. Petersburg. Zenit St. Petersburg winning in Manchester, sparking horrific scenes of uh, street fighting in Man- in East Manchester. And uh, Zenit were the UEFA Cup winners. Rangers, like their old firm pals, winning a losing a 2000s UEFA Cup final. So let's go to the relegation, the other side of the table. And going into the final day, we had some other drama as well. We've got four teams. You've got four teams going for two survival spots. Real Betis and Athletic Club were on 37 points and needed a win to seal survival. Betis instead got thrashed 5-0 at home to Osasuna. And Athletic Club got beat by, of course, Villarreal, who were just out to hurt people this season. And they both remained on 37 points. Results elsewhere could have ensured their survival. you got Celta Vigo keeping up their hopes with a 3-2 win at the Calderon with 36 points on the board for them. And Real Sociedad were held 0-0 by Racing Santander and they had 34 points going into the final game of the season. La Real actually had the head-to-head advantage over Sevilla, but not over Athletic Club, so they were still in that fight to survive. Celta Vigo hosted Hatafe, not playing for anything because they'd already sealed their UEFA Cup passage as well. Real Sociedad travelled to Valencia again. They had sealed their Champions League place. Real Betis travelled to Racing Santander and Athletic Club 
hosted to Levant, hosted Levante, two clubs there in Racing and Levante who were lower mid-table and obviously safe and couldn't get into Europe. Celta beat Hatafe 2-1, which forced Athletic Club and Real Betis into needing wins on the final day. Athletic did so 2-0, whilst Betis, they were struggling at Racing. Edu, formerly of Celta Vigo, let's not forget, scored twice in the final 10 minutes, sending his former club down. Betis, staying up. Celta Vigo would return in 2012. They survived in 17th place initially, graduating to a Europa League semi-final in 2017, outdone there by Marcus Rashford and Manchester United. They would drop back to 17th in 2019 and in 2020, and now look to be back on the right course. And as I speak to you today, they are in 8th place in La Liga. Real Sociedad, they returned to La Liga in 2010, playing in the Champions League in 2013, again coming up against Manchester United. That was the first campaign there for La Real, first time in a decade. And they played, they've played two Europa League knockout stage campaigns in 2018 and in this season again, losing out to Manchester United in the latter. And they will likely play in that competition again next season, should they make it through. Athletic Club, they played in the Champions League in 2014, continuing their long run have never been relegated and currently reside in the top half of La Liga. Real Betis, on the other hand, were a bit of a yo-yo team. They got relegated in. In 2009 and 2014, they were promoted almost immediately in 2011 and then immediately in 2015. They've had two Europa League runs to the knockout phase and are currently in the run to qualify for the Europa League and the brand new Europa Conference League next season. What a fantastic La Liga season that was anyway. We'll round things off with a 2000s trivial teaser today and we've got another few correct answers. I must make these a lot harder in future. Welcome back. This is a 2000s trivial teaser. So we had three correct answers. Well done to questionable football quizzes, footballers of Wikipedia and the 11 podcast. Three fantastic outlets there on Twitter. Please check them out on Twitter. So they guessed Louis Aha, and of course Louis Aha is a centre forward. Of course Louis Aha has been managed by the great Sir Alex Ferguson, the great Martin O'Neill. He's played alongside Zinedine Zidane, Thierry Henry, Alan Shearer, Mikel Arteta and Marcus Hanneman. Louis Saha, congratulations to you three for getting the correct answer there. I've made it a bit harder this week, hopefully. Our answer this week is a midfielder. A midfielder who's played under Cesare Maldini and Arrigo Sacchi. He's played alongside another Maldini and Paolo Maldini. He's played alongside Pavel Nedved, Francesco Totti, Zinedine Zidane and Didier Deschamps. Remember, he's got to be a player that's played in the 2000s. He's been managed by Cesare Maldini, Arrigo Sacchi. He's played alongside Didier Deschamps, Zinedine Zidane, Francesco Totti, Paolo Maldini and Pavel Nedved, a midfielder. If you think you know the answer, tweet me at whatif underscore YouTube. Holler at me in the street, whichever you wish to do whichever method, but you will find out. On the 42nd episode of the Naughty's Nostalgia podcast, which is, of course, next week, next Wednesday, as is every Naughty's Nostalgia episode, wherever you get your podcasts. And next week, we'll be talking about two very different Champions League finals. We've got the 2004 Champions League final, which, of course, featured another great Jose Mourinho performance for Porto against Monaco. And the 2005 Champions League final, a classic between Liverpool and AC Milan in Istanbul. The Table Never Lies goes to Serie A and to the 2006-07 season in a post-Calcio Poly world. Who would take the mantle of Juventus who had been relegated? On the YouTube channel there, we've got the 1992 FA Cup final. We're going to take a look at the 1990s Champions League. We've got 
What Ifs from Barcelona, Stoke, Anthony Knockout, Blackburn, and we're going to take a look at the best ever international teams on Ranked, which is a fantastic Ranked video for you there, who wins that, I wonder. And Patrick Vieira, we've got also a lovely little review of the early, the very, very early Champions League video games before EA took over and bastardised them. We are on Acast, Spotify and Apple or anywhere, really, where you get your podcasts every Wednesday. We've got a special podcast for you next week with the EFL playoffs coming up. We're going to do a couple of reviews of the of the football season, really first beginning with the Premier League and then with the European leagues as well. So keep an eye out for them or an ear out for them rather in the upcoming weeks. And of course, European Championship 2020 or 2021 is around the corner. So you better believe we're making content for that all through the summer. So keep it on what if football and until next week, see you Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.